early in my ministry, early in my Christian life, I got really interested. I, if the Lord gives me liberty, and I think that he will, I, I felt some very strong leadership move towards the book of Revelation. Um, and, and we always think about Revelation as being all about end times, and it's not all about end times. It, it literally is an unveiling of Christ. But um, I think that that's probably where we're going to be next week. Um, but I couldn't get away from, from this this week. And so... Uh, early on in my ministry, I was reading all kind of books about end time stuff, and um, I was sucking up anything that I could find. It was just fascinating to me, seeing some of the signs and things come into come into um, play, come into existence. But one of the books I read early on, really, um, he he wrote several end times books, and this one was not really an end times book as much as it was um, uh, just kind of a this is where we are in our culture kind of book, but Hal Lindsey wrote a book, he wrote it in the 1970s, and of course I, um, I grew up in the 70s, but I didn't read the book until the 90s, it was already 20 plus years old when I read it, but he, he, he wrote a book in the 1970s called um, Satan is Alive and Well on Planet Earth, and, and the book had a lot to say about satanic activity in the world that we live in today, and, um, and, and the way that he works in the world today in several different areas, and uh, he a actually interviewed a, a man by the name of Bob Vernon, who was a commander of the Los Angeles Police Department's um, Occultic Crimes Division. And it was, a, it was an enlightening interview, to say the least. But um, he gave testimony of, uh, of, of the Occultic Crimes Division finding people that were engaged in, in worship services where there were cauldrons of blood that were mixed with LSD and that uh, they would fill a cup with blood and, and, and LSD and pass it around and all have a hallucinogenic experience, um, lose complete control of themselves. Um, he talked about finding animals that were, had been skinned alive that were, still, that were still alive but were minus their skin as part of the satanic ritualism. Um, Evidence of violent sexual rituals, even some evidence of human sacrifice. They had a hard time uh, pinning stuff on people, but when there were a lot of uh, missing and, ex and, and exploited children that were being connected to satanic rituals, all this stuff was going on. In fact, one of the stories I remember very clearly was that they found, they actually arrested a man who was under the influence of um, probably LSD, um, who was covered in blood. And uh, upon examining him, um, they found a half-eaten human heart um, that he had consumed. And the victim of the murder, had he had taken his knuckles and um, put them in his pocket. So I've said something that's got Siri activated. Um, and I don't ever talk to her. I might turn this thing off. It might be satanic coming through there, but I'm... Yeah, I'm on it. I'm on it. I'm, but uh, anyway, that, the evidence was, was incredible. And I'll have to tell you this. You know this is true. Um, it's just as widespread today as it was in the 70s, if not more so. Um, Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. He has been. He's a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The, the, the headlines for the last few years have revolved around Super Bowl shows and all the satanic symbolism that's been involved in some of that. Um, just a couple months ago, uh, early February, I think it was, um, and I, I hadn't watched the Grammys. I don't have any reason to watch the Grammys. I don't even know the people. Um, I watch very little television, listen to very little music even anymore. But um, the Grammys were um, literally a satanic worship service. I mean, that's what it amounted to. All of the imagery that was there, the song that was, that was played, it all resulted to um, a satanic worship service. Um, there's lots of music and video games out there that are playing on that um, same theme, satanic worship. Um, you go into a Books a Million or Barnes and Noble store, it's incredible the number of books that are being published and promoted in those stores um, that are celebrating witchcraft and Satanism and Eastern mysticism and all of those occultic religions. It's everywhere. It's everywhere you look. Um, uh, they, they, you can go into a Books a Million or Barnes and Noble and find a copy of the Satanic Bible. I, I read a statistic just this week that said witchcraft is the fastest growing religion in the United States today. Witchcraft, 
fastest growing religion in the United States today. Um, there are all kind of occultic how-to books, um, all kind of new age books. And by the way, part of what we're facing at our local library, if you walk into our local library, unless they've changed things since the last time I've been in there, most of what you see is either going to be sex-related or um, related to Eastern mysticism, occult practices, witchcraft. There's all kind of stuff that's being promoted openly um, in our public libraries. Um, culture has fallen in love again with the Ouija board. Um, horoscopes don't seem to be as big a deal today as they were in the 70s. Um, but they are, there are now, this is one of the things we've argued with the library, just don't promote anything. We don't want you to promote Easter or Christmas um, because if you open the door to Easter and Christmas, then you open the door to anything else, and we'd rather you just be neutral. Um, some of the state houses, I know that it's happened in Illinois. I think it's also happened in Michigan, and there's one other state that eludes me right now, maybe Kentucky. Um, but all of them had statues of Baphomet, which is the... the an image of Satan, uh, the goat head, set up in their state houses because they provided equal access to different religious affiliations. And so all that's going on all around us today. And, um, and I'm just like you. That stuff shocks me. That stuff angers me. Um, you, you're not going to catch me getting too close to any of that stuff. In fact, I, one time when Timmy went on visitation, with me to um, Brunswick to the hospital. Um, we had a breakdown, a vehicle breakdown, and, um, and so we, we took it to a, to a mechanic shop right there close to where the hospital was, and we walked across, um, did a little walking, and went to Books a Million, and, and while I was in Books a Million, I found one of them satanic Bibles and was picking it up and reading it a little bit, and, and Timmy's like, what you reading, preacher? And I said, it's a satanic Bible. He said, put that down. He said, put that down. And, I, of course, I laughed, and I, I did. I was just curious about it. Um, but that kind of stuff alarms us. And, um, and, and you don't really have to worry about a whole lot of people, uh, although I think that number may be growing, but you don't have to worry about most people who have been exposed to Christianity, exposed to the gospel, living in the Bible Belt, that are going to venture out there into a lot of those practices. And so I would just say this morning to begin with that that, um, that that form of satanic worship and satanic service is not the most common, nor is it the most dangerous that's in our world today. I'm going to read to you a verse that I quote often. You're going to recognize it right away. Um, but I want to just expound upon it a little bit this morning and, um, and show you what the most common form of satanic worship and service is. If you look in Romans chapter 6, Verse number 16, the Apostle Paul wrote this, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Most of the people that are involved in satanic Worship or satanic service today are not even aware that they are. Um, because most of us are not aware of the simple fact that you can serve Satan simply by not serving God. And just give you a little simple, brief outline of this text, and, and then I'm just going to elaborate on it a little bit. If you look very closely at that verse of Scripture, and I, you've heard me quote it a bunch of times, and you've heard me make some references to this, but I'm just, I want you to hear it and hear it clearly this morning. Um, this text tells us that there are two personalities that are at work in the world today. And, 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 and it, it uses a word, whom, and it uses the word him. So, so I want you to understand we're not talking about philosophies. We're not talking about religions, we're not talking about cultures, we're not talking about ideas, we're not talking about political parties, we're not talking about opinions, we're not talking about preferences, we're talking about persons. There are two personalities represented in that text. Know ye not that to whom you yield your members' servants to obey, his servants you are. There are two persons that are implied, and the term servants is used, so the implication there is that there are one of two masters that you can yield yourself to. 
There are one of two masters, one of, one of two personalities that you can yield yourself to and become servant to one or the other. There are two paths that we can take. The, the path that you take identifies the master that you're serving. He said um, that you can be a servant of sin unto death, or you can be a servant of, or you can be a, a servant of obedience unto righteousness. So the two paths, the path you take identifies your master. If you serve sin, then you're a servant of Satan. If you walk in obedience to God, then you're a servant of Christ. That's what's being implied, and you read it in all of its context, and that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to say. He's talking to people that have made professions of faith in Christ, and some of them are using it as a license to sin. He's correcting all this, and he says, if you are yielding yourself as a servant to sin, you're yielding yourself to Satan himself. If you're walking in obedience to the Word of God, and you're yielding yourself as a servant to Christ and exercising dominion um, over sin. There's only two paths, by the way. Just like there are only two persons, there are two um, primary spiritual entities that work in the world today. That is God and the enemy of God, Satan. Um, the, the one who instigated the first rebellion in heaven, the one that instigated the first rebellion on earth, is still active and at work in the world today. And, um, and he has that path of sin that he will always entice us with, that path of disobedience to God that he will always entice us with. And so we have a choice as to who we yield ourselves, servant to obey. There's only two paths. There's not a lot of paths. There's not a middle path. You can't ride the fence. You're, riding, you're, either, on, you're either serving the Lord or you're serving the enemy. You're either walking in obedience or you're walking in disobedience. You're either a servant of righteousness or you're a servant of sin. There's no ambiguity in that passage of Scripture. There are two people, two personalities, there are two paths. And he closed it by saying there are two penalties um, or two payments that we will receive. One of those paths leads to death. You sin and death is the result of it. Um, or you can take the path of obedience which leads to righteousness. And if you look at that 22nd verse, it says that um, being made free from sin, you become the servants of God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end, everlasting life. So the two payments, um, sin leads to death, obedience leads to life. Sin leads to death, obedience leads to righteousness, holiness, and everlasting life. So let me just summarize that like this. The payment that you reap depends upon the path that you take. And the path that you take tells us which master it is that you serve that's a simple way I know to paraphrase that verse of scripture as I can as I can share with you the payment that we reap will depend upon the path that we take and the path that we take depends upon the personality that we yield ourselves to serve who do we allow to become our Masters, and so that that begs the question that we ought to all ask ourselves. In fact, we ought to ask ourselves this on a daily basis. Uh, the 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 general idea of Brother Mitch's teaching about separation, which is the is the heart of that restored teaching that Brother Mitch teaches, and I know y'all love Brother Mitch just like I do, and I'm fine with that. Um, I saw I saw that teaching that Brother Mitch teaches us. I saw it deliver him from an abyss. I mean, he was in a deep, dark place. I went up there and visited him while he was still in the middle of that, um, that recovery season, and he was learning some of these principles himself. And, um, and, I, and I watched God deliver him from a state of depression that I thought he'd never climb out of. Um, but the heart of that teaching is that you have to learn to separate the voices that are speaking to you in this world, the voices that are leading you, that are guiding you, the voices that you're yielding yourself to in this world. And I'll tell you, Mitch has made me mad on occasion because he's helped me bring some separation. And I got mad at him initially. In fact, we were sitting in the Mexican trailer one day having a conversation, and I said something that I should not have said about somebody that had really angered me. And I was dealing with some bitterness and hatred, just to be honest. I, didn't, I wouldn't have admitted that at the time, 
but it was, it was a root of bitterness that had taken up in me. And I called that person a very derogatory name. And Mitch looked right at me and he said, who told you to say that? And I said, nobody, I said it. He said, no, who told you to say that? And I said, I'm my own man. He said, no, you yielded yourself. You yielded yourself to the wrong master. And I'll, I'll tell you, he made me mad for a few minutes. By the way, I've got him back on several occasions since then. Because all of us are guilty if we're not careful of, of listening to the wrong voice and obeying the wrong master. I'm going to get to that in a minute. But we, that ought to be a question that we don't just ask ourselves one time and forever finished. That ought to be a question that we ask ourselves throughout the day as we make our decisions, as we, as we live our lives, as we go out into this world, as we interact with each other. We ought to analyze our behaviors. We ought to analyze our thoughts. We ought to analyze our words. We ought to analyze the way that we're living our life and say, Now who am I serving? What path am I on? And what is that going to get for me in the end? Are you yielded to the wrong master? So let me just make some. I, I'm, there's three points that I'm going to make about being yielded to the wrong master. And the first is this. All unbelievers are Satan's servants. All of them. Now, I know that's hard. I know that's harsh. You know what? Sometimes we need our conscience awakened. We just need to be shaken. Everybody that is not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is a servant of Satan. Now, I know we don't go around saying that. I know that the people that I know that are not believers, most of them, probably all of them, if I ask them if they worshipped Satan, every one of them to the person would say, absolutely not. Well, do you serve Satan? Every one of them to the person would say, I've never considered myself to be a servant of Satan. But can I, I want to just reiterate, if you are an unbeliever, you are thoroughly, completely, fully inside the enemy's camp. And the Bible makes that abundantly clear. There are no good unbelievers. There are no good unbelievers. Now you could say that there are some unbelievers that are better than other unbelievers, but in the economy of God, there's nobody good. The Bible said that there's none righteous, Romans 3.10, no, not one. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 and 2 said that we were dead in sins and trespasses. And that second verse, this is before we were saved. Um, in time past, we walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is still working in the children of disobedience. That is every unbeliever. Before you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, you are absolutely, unequivocally, um, without any ambiguity whatsoever, you are a servant of the devil. Now that's hard. I know that's hard. Um, and, and I can tell you, looking back at my, in my unbelieving days, I own that now. I, I, I ran hard for the enemy, but you would never have gotten me to say that then. I mean, I, here's the way I looked at myself. I provide for my family. I, I work hard. You know, regardless of all the other bad things that I was doing in my life, I could, I could have pointed you to enough moral standard or goodness in me that I would never have admitted to being Satan's servant. But I want to tell you, as an unbeliever, I was absolutely in the enemy's camp and being used by him every day of my life, every moment of my life. He was using me every way that he could uh, to, 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 to um, sow his deceptive seeds in this world um, that we're living in, even in the hearts of my own family members and friends. Any righteousness that an unbeliever perceives that he might have, according to Isaiah 64, is filthy rags in the eyes of God. Any perceived righteousness that we have as unbelievers is filthy rags in the eyes of God. All who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are Satan's servants. In fact, the sin of unbelief is what's going to take everybody to hell. 
that goes to hell. The sin of unbelief. The sin of rejecting Christ is what every person in hell will be guilty of. Every person in heaven is in heaven because they received Christ. They did not reject Him. They trusted Him. All unbelievers are totally depraved. Um, and I know, I know that the Apostle Paul's writing this about his own life, and he's writing it about that carnal nature that, 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 that lives in all of us still, that we still have to work against. And I'll say a little bit more about that um, in the last point. Um, but in Romans chapter 7, verse 18, he said, There's nothing good in my flesh. In my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. It's utterly depraved. It's completely fallen. If you've never been born again, you are dead spiritually and you have no capacity to live righteously and you are all together. And it doesn't really matter whether you call yourself an atheist or an agnostic or if you think I'm just good enough to go to heaven on my own. Whatever, whatever terminology that you want to use and whatever label that you want to put on your life, um, without Christ, without Christ, you are Satan's servant. Period. The second thing, the second question or the second group is that a lot of people who profess to believe are Satan's servants. Um, Matthew, in Jesus' first sermon, he warned. I'm going to run through these uh, quickly. Um, in, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, he, he said, you need to beware of false prophets. That's people who profess to be something. They come to you in sheep's clothing. But inside they are ravening wolves. Um, in the 16th verse, he said, you'll know them by their fruits. You'll know them by their fruits. And by the same token, you can know a Christian by their fruits, the fruit of the Spirit that's being evident in our life. But you'll know a false prophet by the fruit that they bear. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23, you got that group of people that are standing before the Lord on the day of judgment who say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out devils, done in your name, done many wonderful works? In that 23rd verse, Jesus will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Some translations say, you who love lawlessness. And so what Jesus pointed us to is there's going to be people who live in this world who profess to believe in me, who do not bear the fruit of the Spirit, who do not bear the fruit of righteousness in their life, who are not walking in obedience to my word, who are indeed in love with sin, not in love with my will and my way uh, in their life. We just studied the book of Jude. I spent five weeks there. Certain men have crept into the church unaware, and they take the grace of God and turn it into a a license to live in sin, which is what Romans chapter 6 is addressing. Those people that say, um, because grace abounds, um, uh, because sin, grace abounds, sin can abound. Paul is refuting that. Um, just before we, the verse that we read, he said, because we're, under, we're not under the law, that we're under, but we're under grace, that means that the law has no bearing in our life anymore. We don't have to keep the law anymore. We don't have to do what God said anymore. And again, he, he answered that uh, question himself. God forbid that we should live our lives that way. People that, that have that mentality are professors. And they are not possessors. Um, many people who profess to believe in Jesus, their fruit says otherwise. Their life says otherwise. Their life says that they are servants of Satan. And, and, and this is what I would, that, that particular group I think are the best recruiters that the enemy has. They're the best recruiters that Satan has because they profess to serve Jesus, but in practice they serve him. That's the kind of false prophets that both Jude and 2 Peter chapter 2 warns about. And one of the things that, he, that they said, both of them said, is they, they promise you liberty, but they themselves are servants of corruption. And, and, he, and Peter went on to warn, um, of whom a man is overcome of the same as he brought into bondage. 
Jesus said, that, uh, again, no ambiguity in what Jesus is saying here. It's, it's, it's no gray, no shades of gray. This is black and white. In John chapter 8, 34, he said, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Now, if we are a servant of sin, whose servant are we? Who's the liar and the father of lies? Who's the murderer from the beginning? Who's the deceiver from the start? Who, who's the one that tempted us with sin? Who's the one that led us away into that temptation? And, and so when Jesus said, Whosoever committed sin is the servant of sin, he could just as well have said, Whosoever committed sin is the servant of Satan. Second Corinthians says, if a man is in Christ Jesus, verse 17, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. And here's the last group. <laughs> Some true believers are Satan's servants. Some true believers are Satan's servants. They yield their members as servants to obey him. Now, that's what Mitch pointed out in my life. Mitch was not questioning my, my belief in Christ, my faith in Christ, nor was he examining all the fruit of my life. He was looking at the fruit that I was manifesting in that moment, in that, in that, in that passionate moment, in that moment where, where I did not allow the Holy Spirit of God to check me. Um, as I should have, I grieved him, I quenched him, and I went off the cuff and, and, and yielded my mouth. It was my mind first, but then it was my mouth um, as a servant to the enemy. When you willingly give Satan the use of your mind, your mouth, your actions, your attitudes, we become servants of Satan. Now, we can all fall into that. Um, the difference, I think, in a true believer and one that just professes to believe is that we feel that conviction right away. And, that, and, and, and w as we yield to that conviction, we repent of that sin. We acknowledge it, and the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. Where does division come from in the church? It ain't from Jesus. Where does, where does dissension come from? Where does, where does unforgiveness in the church come from? Where does bitterness in the church come from? Where does power struggles in the church come from? Where, where does selfishness, self-centeredness come from? In, in, inside the church comes from the enemy. Sowing the tares, sowing the deception among the wheat. Who's behind gossip? Who, who's behind backbiting? Who's behind slander? Who's beside, behind greed? Who's bes, behind jealousy that exists in the life of a Christian and in the life of a church? Satan. Now, what Mitch addressed me about that day was a root of bitterness I, I, that I had against one particular individual and it wasn't because they mistreated me. It was because they mistreated somebody I loved. And I think there's some righteous indignation that ought to exist in our life when we see injustice occurring in the lives of others. However, I had let that became a, become a root of bitterness in me that made me hate that person. And I said some things that Mitch didn't hear before he heard them. <laughs> there were times I wished that person was dead. There was one occasion in particular, if I had had opportunity, I'd have killed that person. It was defiling me. It was eating me from the inside out. And when Mitch rebuked me that day, my initial reaction to that was to become defensive. And he said, listen to me. I know who you are, and I know whose you are, and I know who did not plant that root of bitterness in your heart. Now, I appreciate having a brother like Mitch. I really do. Because we sat and talked about it for a few minutes. And I'm like, okay. I wept over it. I'm like, I don't know how to fix it. He said, yeah, you do. 
You got to bring it captive and make it obedient to Christ. And I said, tell me, give me something practical. I'm a practical person. Give me something practical. He said, get up every morning this week and pray for that person. Call them by name and ask the Lord to deal with their heart and bring them to himself. And I'm going to tell you, the first couple of mornings I did that was hard for me because I had been yielding myself to the enemy and now I had to turn around and yield myself back to the Holy Spirit. But as I prayed and asked the Lord, the root of bitterness was excavated. And, and, and I even managed to reach out to that person and let them know um, that, that I had been bitter and resentful. And I did like Wendell did when the Holy Spirit arrested his attention. I called, I, you know, I made that contact and said, hey, um, I'm here for you. If I can ever help you in any way, I'm here for you. Sometimes we let our mind, our mouth, our attitudes, even our actions get over in the ditch and we yield ourselves to Satan. I'm, I, I want to tell you something. I don't ever want to be willingly used by the enemy ever again. Um, I talked to a young lady yesterday that I hurt her very deeply with something I said to her one time. And, um, and when I said it, I knew how much it hurt her. And, and even though I immediately tried to apologize for it, and she has accepted the apology. Um, she was a teenager when it happened, and I ran into her. And, and, but it, it all came back to me again, and I thought, my goodness, I didn't mean to hurt her like that. But in that moment, I let the enemy use me to hurt another part of the body of Christ. Now, She's gracious and has forgiven me, but I think about it every time. That's what it feels like when a, when a true believer, when a true Christian gives themselves over to the, to the enemy and lets the enemy use them, even for a split second, the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes sweeping in and say, no, that's not, that's not you. That's the wrong master. That's, that's the wrong path. And it's not ever going to do anything. Now, you might take this to the extreme and, 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 and say that's going to make you lose your salvation. That's not what I'm saying. What, what I'm saying is that sin always brings destruction. It's always destructive. It destroys relationships. It'll destroy you from the inside out with that root of bitterness. It's never productive for even a, it's never productive even for a true born-again, blood-bought child of God to be used by Satan, even if you're safe on the other side, even if you make it, he, he may very well use that activity in your life to keep somebody else from coming to faith in Christ. And so we got to take that seriously. We need to take all those seriously. If you don't believe in Jesus, there ain't but one other entity in this world that you can serve, and you say, well, I'm just serving myself. That's serving Satan. He's the, original, he's the original proud one. He's the original self-centered one. He's the original, I'm going to do what I want to do. If, if you are just making a profession of faith and thinking that that makes you all right in the eyes of God, Jesus said there's going to be people who stand in front of me one day and talk about how they professed me as Lord and did these religious things in my name and I'm going to say I, didn't, I never knew you because you were in love with disobedience. You were in love with sin. You were in love with your iniquity. You practiced lawlessness. Romans chapter 6 verses 11 and 13 says, through 13 says that we do not have to let sin reign in our bodies, that we can reckon ourselves de dead indeed into it, alive unto God through Jesus Christ. We don't have to let sin reign in our mortal body. We don't have to obey it or the lust of it. And verse 13 clearly says that we are not to yield our members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield ourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members, that's our mouth, that's our hands, that's our ears, that's our eyes, that's our, that's our attitude, that's our actions, that's every part of us. Yield your instruments as righteousness unto God. We're to be overcomers of sin, not to be overcome by it. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 said, You are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit. We should not let Satan use us for his glory. 
by using our thoughts, words, or deeds to serve Him. So, I think Satan has convinced us to ignore where sin comes from. I mean, if we knew, if, every, if we associated every sin that we commit with, I just serve the devil. I just worship the devil. I just, I just yielded myself to his plan. It would check us a lot faster. Because we, we've kind of separated, we've kind of pulled sin off to the side and we treat it like it's a separate entity altogether. Who's behind sin? Who tempts to sin? Who deceives people to sin? Satan. He, he has convinced us to ignore the origin of sin. Now, I think it was happening in the Corinthian church, and, and, and Paul told them in the 10th chapter, the 21st verse, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot do both at the same time. You cannot be partakers of the Lord's table and of the table of devils. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 6, the Bible said, God has not called us to uncleanness but to holiness. So if we're not walking in holiness, who called us to unholiness? Who called us to sin? 2 Timothy 2, 19 says, Let every man who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. So listen, sin's origin, all of sin's origin, wherever it, you know what, sin's origin ultimately has always been rooted in sin's, in Satan's deception. His origin has always been rooted in Satan's deception. Why do we sin? Because Satan has deceived us. We don't see where it came from. We don't see who instigated it. We choose a path of sin. And when we choose a path of sin, we choose a master who willingly leads us down it. And then we, get, we reap that, that destructiveness that comes from that. Which, which means he's also not only convinced us to ignore sin's origin, but he's blinded us to the fact that there's a consequence to be paid. There's a penalty. There's a payment phase that comes. Um, Satan told Eve, thou shalt not surely die. You know what that was? A lie. Did God really say? Yeah, this is what he said. Thou shalt not surely die. It was a lie. She bought it. She was deceived by it. Adam, on the other hand, went into it with his eyes wide open. Both of them, I believe, died immediately spiritually. They realized all of a sudden that they're naked and they were ashamed and they went and hid themselves from the God who loved them and gave them everything that they had. Who was behind that deception? Satan. Who made that sin so enticing? Satan. And creation is still reeling from the destruction and death. And if we choose to yield ourselves to the wrong master... We're going we're gonna to reap the same kind of payment, the same kind of destruction that comes from walking in unrighteousness and disobedience. Romans 6.23, which is in that same chapter, in that same context, says, For the wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So um, if we yield to the wrong master, we reap the wrong payment. Um, but the gift of God comes when we yield our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. And by yielding our life to the Lord Jesus Christ, we escape the bondage of sin and the bondage of being Satan's servant. So which path, which path are you on? Which personality are you serving? Now I'm done. I do want to let you... I started with this. I'm going to end with this. You can look it up for yourself. There's a lot of research out there. I found I, I subscribed to World Magazine, which is a Christian perspective of world news, for years, and um, there was an article written in it, and I don't have the article, and I'm not going to read from it this morning. There was an article written by um, one of the editors of World Magazine, where he went and sat in the home of Anton Lavey, who is the the self-professing founder of the Church of Satan and who wrote the Satanic Bible. He interviewed him. I think Anton LaVey died in like 1997, somewhere along in there. 90, it was in the 90s. But he interviewed him. And, um, and he, he, he said, this guy's a Christian interviewing the high priest of the Church of Satan. He said he was very cordial, um, even kind, courteous to me. He said we had some interesting... He said he, he, he looked the part. 
but we had an interesting conversation. And where that conversation eventually led to was Anton LaVey said, I'm not, he said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe that there is a God anywhere. Not in heaven, not in hell, not on earth. Um, he was a Darwinian atheist. Um, he just used that business of Satan as a selling point for his ministry. Um, he believed that organized religion was the worst thing that ever happened to the earth. And they, basically, the first rule in the Satanic Bible goes something like this. Um, indulgence instead of um, abstinence. Indulgence instead of abstinence. So what Anton LaVey said, I just believe we ought to live our lives to the fullest. That we ought to enjoy any and every pleasure that we can engage ourselves in. Um, because we eat and we drink and then we die and we no longer exist. Now that's his mentality. Um, he didn't believe in the devil. He didn't recognize Satan as being a physical, spiritual being. Um, there was no heaven. There was no hell. Um, they were just atheists for the most part that accepted anything and everything. Whatever you want to do with anybody, as long as they're mutually consenting to that, that's your business. In fact, um, LaVey wrote, The satanic attitude is that people should be judged by their own merit. They see life as a great indulgence and they want to enjoy it for as long as they can every way they can. And isn't that Satan's, isn't that just like his tactic? Isn't that just what, that, that's what people need to entice them to take that wrong path into sin. <clears throat> I told you I asked the, I'm not going to call her name, not, not here, but the, the email that I was getting from the, from the lady um, about my positions with the library situation uh, was always followed with a statement at the end that said, Thou shalt not will soon be forgotten. Happily ever after never ends. There was a quote by a man named Philip, Philip Pullman, and I looked him up, and he basically was um, the same kind of guy that Anton LaVey was that we're all products of evolutionary chance, the survival of the fittest, do what you want to do, live how you want to live, organize religion is the problem, not the solution. And so in my next dialogue with her, I asked her a simple question. I said, thou shalt not. Well, anytime you use that term, thou shalt not, everybody's mind eventually goes, initially goes almost immediately to the Ten Commandments, right? I mean, that's what we associate those three words with, thou shalt not. And so my question to her was simple. Which one of those commandments do you have the problem with? And which one of those commandments do you want to see end? And she can answer that. Or maybe she wouldn't answer that. The Bible tells me that God's commands are not grievous. That what God tells me to do is good for me and good for the people that are around me. And I believe that. I believe that walking in obedience produces righteousness in our life, holiness in our life, and leads to everlasting life. Because that means Christ is at the head of it, that Christ is the master of it, that we're, that we're not just believing that he is, but that we're believing what he says enough to practice what he says. So are you yielded to the wrong master? You could be a true believer today and be yielded to the wrong master. You could be living under the guise of false assurance, a false profession today, and be a servant of Satan. Or you could not know Jesus as your personal Savior. And I'm not trying to be mean-spirited of this, but the Bible says if that's where you are right now, then you are walking according to the prince of the power of the air, the same spirit that has always worked in the children who walk disobedient paths. Are you yielded to the wrong master? As we stand and our musicians come this morning, Father, I pray that you would add your blessing to the reading and to the preaching of your word. I'm thankful to have friends like Mitch, and I'm thankful to have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that when I do sin, 
that there's a revelation that occurs that, that I have given myself over. I have yielded the parts of my body to the wrong master. I'm thankful for that. Lord, there may be some people this morning that have come under conviction um, that the Holy Spirit has used me to say out loud what he's been saying inside. And so I pray this morning that we'd respond, that we'd separate ourselves from that path that we might be on so that we don't find ourselves yielding to the wrong personality and that we don't have to reap the awful consequences um, that come with that. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here this morning that is beginning to question now whether or not that they're a true believer. Maybe they, maybe they prayed a prayer. Maybe they even went through baptismal waters, but they know that their life has never really changed, that they are still drawn to the same things that they've always been drawn to. They're still doing the same things that they've always done. There's been no check of sin in their life. And they profess to know Christ with their lips, but in their heart and with their life, they're denying Him every day. I think the most dangerous deception in this world is self-deception that takes the form of a false assurance of salvation. Because those that stand before Jesus on that day that He described in Matthew 7, 23, won't have another opportunity to make it right. So I pray if there's anybody here today that has a false assurance of salvation. Let them see that. Let them know that right now. And may they come today and have a true encounter with Christ. By faith, surrender and submit themselves completely to Him. Part of that is to repent of sin. A willing acknowledgement that sin is of the enemy. That serving sin is serving Satan. And that they have a, a, an intention and a desire to turn from that and to turn to Christ and to serve Him. Lord, have your will in your way. Save the lost in this service. All those that are here that don't believe in Jesus are by default in the enemy's camp and headed for that path of destruction. The wages of sin, that's what we earned. The wages of sin is death. And until we receive the gift of God that comes only by faith in Jesus Christ, we cannot have eternal life. And so I pray for them this morning that you convict their heart of sin, draw them to Jesus, save them in this service right here, right now. And we'll praise you for all that you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
with wonder.